few announcements. We have the uh, adult dinner night out and also a cookie exchange, women's cookie exchange at Nikki Thomas's, my daughter-in-law's house. And there's a sign-up sheet out in the foyer. If you'd just put your name down, that would be great if you'd like to um, attend that. And I think that's all the announcements that I, I, I have to make, right? I, I usually look at Vi and she tells me if I'm yes, no. But uh, she's homesick. She, she um, came down with something yesterday. And so far we haven't shared it, which I'm thankful for. <laughs> okay, let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and we thank you so much for who you are, for the love that you so showed on this world. You bestowed love in the incarnation of your Son, Jesus Christ, and that anyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What a blessing. We thank you, Father, for that promise and for that hope. And Lord, I ask that you would anoint and use me to minister your word, your truth, to these, your people, that they might be encouraged in all your ways. And help us, Father, to go through your word in such a way that we allow it to speak to our most inner man. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, we live in a sick world. Did you know that? We really do. And it gets sicker with time. I was uh, driving somewhere yesterday. And the reason I say somewhere is I don't remember where it was, but I was going somewhere. And um, probably a lot of you know that there's one channel this time of year that plays only Christmas music. And so I had that on, and I'm listening to it, and, and uh, then this advertisement comes on. I'm just trying to show you how weird our world has gotten. This advertisement comes on, and it's, it's a woman with a very smooth, you know, soothing voice. And she's saying, you have the perfect marriage. You have kids. You have a home. But through time, you and your spouse have drifted apart. And the thought of spending another Christmas together is devastating. And so, if you contact the law firm of blah, 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 we can work out a quick and amicable divorce. And I'm thinking, what? Merry Christmas! <laughs> you know? Wow, this is the kind of world we live in. And the next song was, Joy to the World! <laughs> but the point I'm getting at, where have we come to? And the only reason that our world and our society has decayed to the level that it has is because we don't take the Word of God seriously enough. This is the Word of God, the Logos, the Word of God to man. And God gave us his Word for no other reason than he loves us and he desires to show us the way that we should walk. Because understand this, as we have seen our world reject you know, biblical theology, and the way a person should live according to Scripture, as the world has rejected that, it's done nothing but decay, right? It's done nothing but decay. And some of you probably know that there was a, a shooting at Destiny, and I don't know the whole thing behind it. Some guy got shot in the leg or something like that, and, and they had to you know, evacuate. We had people from our church, kids that were there, and they had to be locked in the stores and that kind of thing. And um, so anyway, the, the chief of police is not criticizing him, but he's, he's making a statement. You know, we can't let a, a couple crazies, you know, ruin our, our, our Christmas. And the whole point was, don't stop coming to the mall. I mean, really, if you think about it, that's what they're saying. And the point I'm getting at is our world has become more and more uh, debased. And 
sometimes I think even in the church we wonder, well, why? Why? It's because they've rejected the Word of God. And so you and I as believers, it's not our responsibility to make everyone a Christian. It's our responsibility to share the truth of Christianity. But it's up to them to make their choice. It's called free will choice. When someone presented the gospel to you, you had a chance to reject it or accept it. And some of us rejected it a few times before we finally accepted it. But we have to remember that we have that responsibility to stand on the Word of God. And when you find the church taking the Word of God in, in uh, just, just kind of a sloppy way, not willing to really stand on what it says. Because as we study this portion of Scripture, we're going to find that God has serious consequences for sin. Now, of course, this is under the Old Covenant, and we're under His grace and mercy, and we're so thankful for that. And the thing we have to understand is that anyone can confess and repent of sin. Okay, As a believer, if you have done something that's wrong, something's out of keeping with what God would have you do, you can confess and you can repent. But the problem is, is when the church gets to a place where they started accepting many of the things of the world to the point that we don't even know when to confess and repent. We don't know what's right. We don't know what's wrong. And this is why we have to take the word of God exactly for what it is, the word of God to man. Because as we're going to be looking at in this portion... Blasphemy is probably the most serious sin that anyone can commit. And when we are reading it, I'll explain what the word blasphemy actually means. But it's probably one of the most serious sins that, it, that anyone can commit because it not only affects the person who blasphemes, as a matter of fact, the penalty for it we're going to read is death, but the reality is that it also affects everyone around us. It affects our culture, our family and our culture, and everyone around us to think that God can be taken lightly and that we don't have to seriously you know, adhere to his word. And um, this is why it's so important for the church to keep guard against false teaching. You know, we have to understand, false teaching has always come into the church from the beginning. I mean, you can read in Scripture where it talks about, you know, Hymenus and, 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 and Alexander bringing false teaching into the church right from the beginning. And it hasn't changed since. And the one thing we have to always keep in mind is the most dangerous of false teachings, listen, are those that most resemble what is true and accurate. You know what I mean? Like, for instance, um, if I was going to make a forgery of a dollar bill and I had a picture of Mickey Mouse on the front of it, people would say, ah, you know, these, it wouldn't even make any difference. But if I had a forgery that looked Boy, just like a real dollar bill, a little few mistakes on it, but most people wouldn't even notice it. Well, oh, wow, I've got a dollar bill, when they really don't. And so in the same way, we have to be careful of those teachings out there that very closely resemble the truth, but they're not. Because it just takes a little bit to pull you way off. If you have railroad tracks going side by side, and you have it off just one centimeter, one of the tracks, for a long time they're going to look like they're completely parallel. But after a while, it'll be traveling off further and further and further. And so we have to realize that we have to be on our guard against any kind of false teaching that's coming into the church. 
And uh, in Matthew 24 and in Luke 18, we're told that in the last day, false teachings would come into the church. In fact, if you want to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and go to verse 3, 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting with verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, their own desires, because they have itching ears, they want to hear something new, something fresh, something exciting, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure affliction, and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And so that's what we're called to do. Stand on the word of God and fulfill our ministry as being evangelists everywhere we go, sharing the truth. Not the half-truth, not the most of the truth, but sharing the truth. And so we're picking up in Leviticus chapter 24 and verse 10. (coughs) Excuse me. Leviticus 24, verse 10, Now the son of an Israelite woman whose father was an Egyptian went out among the children of Israel, and this Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought each other in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed, and that is the word nakab. And nakab in the Hebrew means uh, to profane violently, to curse violently. And so we have to realize when we're looking at this, it is, it is like someone who would say, I hate God, I and just all kinds of awful things to say about God. That's blasphemy. So there's a difference between blasphemy and cursing, and that's the reason I'm bringing this up. And the name of the Lord and curse, and that's kalah. And that particular word in the Hebrew means to make light of or ridicule. Oh, who's God? What can he do? You follow the point I'm making? One is just violently cursing God, and the other one's making light of or almost mocking God. And those are two very serious sins that someone can commit. Is there a noise going... Do you hear that? You do? I wasn't sure if it was me or or something else. I thought maybe... Remember that... uh, Never mind. <laughs> Talk about some scary movie. But. Anyway, verse 11. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemy. I already did that. So we're down. Uh, his mother's name was Shalomath, the daughter of Debri, of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody that the mind of the Lord might be, uh, be shown to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take outside the camp him who has cursed. Then let all who heard him lay their hands on his head and let all the congregation stone him. Then you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin, and whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him, the the stranger as well as him who is born in Israel. When he blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall be put to death. Now, there are only two incidents of people in the, in the book of Leviticus, there are only two instances of someone being put to death for blasphemy. You have Nadab and Abihu, who were Aaron's sons, and remember they offered profane fire. This was in chapter 10 of, of Leviticus. Leviticus. Remember they offered profane fire, and the Lord struck out and consumed them with fire. They offered strange incense, I'm sorry, and the Lord consumed them with fire. Now, it's interesting, I, in fact, I encourage you when you go home, read chapter 10 and read all of it, 
Because after uh, Nadab and Abihu were consumed by fire from the Lord because of offering profane incense to God, then the Lord speaks to Aaron. He spoke to Moses, then the Lord speaks to Aaron. And what does he tell Aaron? He said, I don't want your sons coming, I'm paraphrasing, I don't want your sons coming here and serving before me if they've been drinking. Read it. So the conclusion that we could possibly make is that when Abihu and, and his son Nadab and his brother Nadab came in to serve the Lord, they were drunk. And so they thought, hey, we've got a good thing we can do. We can, we can mix up the better incense than God commanded us. And they offered profane incense before the Lord. And, of course, incense also means prayer. So we don't know exactly whether it was just the incense itself or the kind of prayers they were offering. But God consumed them. And so it's an important you know, point for us to make. And then the other uh, incidents of someone being put to death for uh, blaspheming the name of the Lord is right here in this chapter, in chapter 24. So we have to understand that blasphemy is a serious offense, as it not only demonstrates the godlessness of the person who blasphemes, but it also, if unchecked, it can affect everyone he's, who's around him. Everyone who's around him, if it's left unchecked. Now, I don't think, personally, that even as believers, we're serious enough about blasphemy. We're serious enough about things that might be coming right into our homes. I don't think we are. And, um, you know, what am I talking about? Well, maybe some movies we watch, maybe music we listen to. You know, there are a lot of things that I think the church has come to a, a, a complacency in, which they shouldn't where they're just saying, well, that's just the way the world is. It's just music. It's just a TV show. It's just a movie. That's okay. Well, according to God's word, it's not. I mean, that's not something that we should be taking part of. Um, we have to understand the worst kind of blasphemy is, like I mentioned earlier, is that which comes in stealthily. And I think the church has come to a place where, have you ever noticed that a pendulum goes both ways? And I think sometimes uh, the pendulum has gone to the, to the direction of legalism where everything a person does is blasphemy. Did you know that I saw so-and-so? Well, this is something that actually happened to us. Is when uh, Frank and, and um, Nikki got married, I think it was their wedding. It was either theirs or our daughter's. But anyway, one of our children's weddings uh, Vi and I wanted to dance at our children's wedding, right? Wouldn't you want to dance at your children's wedding? And Vi and I don't know how to dance. So we actually went and we took dancing lessons. Which was, but anyway, we took dancing lessons. And so at their wedding, we got out when all the parents and everybody was dancing, and we danced. And we actually had someone come up to us and say, you know, I was really disappointed. I can't believe that you and Vi were out there dancing. That's legalism, where you take something that is not in Scripture anywhere and you somehow have made some kind of humanistic tradition about it as being wrong and being sinful. Okay, so that kind of legalism is wrong, you know? But on the same hand, I think sometimes the pendulum can swing so far to the other side that we, even as believers, are saying, oh, this is okay, it's, not, it's just the way it is, this is the way life is. Well, if it's contrary to God's Word... It's still wrong, and it's still sin, no matter how life has, has swung one way or another. Understand that when Christianity came into the world, 
the Roman Empire was in charge. And that was one of the most debased societies at that time that you could have had. I mean, every sin imaginable, just like today, was available. And yet, here is where Christianity took its roots and spread, and it spread holiness, and it spread obedience to God's Word. And so we have to understand that's what we need to do as well. Now, um, I think one of the things that we see in looking at this, you had uh, a woman who was married to an Israel, Israelite woman or a believing woman was married to an unbeliever, was married to a, 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 a pagan. And so consequently, their son ended up blaspheming the Lord. And to me, one of the things that this points out is why it's so dangerous for a believer to be yoked together with an unbeliever. And that's not only in relationship to marriage. It can be in relationship to business or whatever. It's not good to be yoked together because when you yoke yourself with someone, it becomes so easy to start accepting things that maybe you shouldn't be accepting. And um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 15, it says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. And it's talking about a binding relationship. It doesn't mean <clears throat> that you as a believer should avoid any unbeliever. We're supposed to be around unbelievers because unbelievers are the ones that need to hear the truth of God's word. So we don't separate ourselves from unbelievers. It's talking about a binding relationship. That's what we're not supposed to allow ourselves to get into. So do not be yoked together with an unbeliever for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? And what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And so we look at verses like this, and I think so often it's easy for us to just let it, let it just pass by. Just kind of, ah, what's the big deal? It's the Word of God. We need to stand on the Word of God. And this is why um, if someone is... Married to an unbeliever, there's hope. There's hope. As a matter of fact, let me read to you from First um, Peter chapter three, verse verse one. It tells us, and actually verses one through four, it tells us that an unbeliever can be won over by the believing spouse, not by their many words. It specifically says not by their many words, but by, by their chaste and righteous behavior. So, in other words, if you're married to an unbeliever, and you're going around, yeah, 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 and you're doing this wrong, and you're doing that wrong, God's word says this, and God's word said that, and you got your many words, you're driving them further away. But if you're married to an unbeliever, and you just exude the love of Christ, doesn't mean you never make mistakes and you don't have your bad days, but you exude the love of Christ, and you have a righteous you know, countenance, and, and, and you just bring nothing but the word of God into your heart and into your personal life, it's going to affect that person. This portion of Scripture is saying they'll be won over by your chaste and righteous behavior, not by your many words. And so we realize as we look at this, it's important for us to make sure that we guard our own heart and how we believe and make sure that we don't allow ourselves to accept blasphemy and wrong teaching, false teaching into our lives. Now, Every believing couple, I'm talking about couples where both are believers, make the mistake, I think, today, of introducing their children 
into idolatry and things that are contrary to the Word of God through what I call gradualism. In other words, it's not something that they would just, you know, but just gradually these kinds of false teachings and these attitudes start coming, you know, in, into the church and into even a home, even into a family. And uh, I remember years ago, you, you've probably heard me say this probably three or a thousand times. But anyway, um, I remember years ago, and my, my grandfather, and you have to understand, he was born in the 1800s. And uh, TV, this is like in, in, the, you know, in the 50s. And uh, he said, there's nothing decent on TV anymore except Kate Smith. Now, Nick and Annette aren't here, so they're the only other couple here that would even know what I'm talking about. But Kate Smith is the one who used to sing the national anthem at all the World Series games, and, and her big song was When the Moon Comes Over the Mountain. Now, you don't even know who I'm talking about. But anyway, the point I'm getting at, uh, he was saying that's the only decent show on TV because he was talking about some of the viewing of that day in the 50s that were so offensive. Contrary to God's word. Now, can you imagine if he were alive today and turned on some of the shows that we have? Game of Thrones. I've never seen it, but I've heard about it. Game of Thrones and all these other ones. He, he, he would probably go into cardiac arrest, you know, seeing that kind of thing today. Well, how did we get there that even the church will watch that kind of viewing? Gradualism, gradualism. So we have to realize, and, I, and I'm not trying to be legalistic here. Brothers and sisters, please understand, I'm not trying to be legalistic, and I'm not trying to put anyone under a bond of works. What I'm talking about is that there is gradualism that has come into the church and into our hearts and into our lives that maybe we need to open our eyes to. And I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. This is just as uh, relative to me as it is to you. What have we allowed to come in? And in, in um, Psalm 101, verse 3, listen to this. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. Many people say, well, it's no big deal what we watch or what we listen to. It is. It's seared into the mind. It's seared into the memory. And especially if our children have watched it, it's seared in there. And it might be something that they would deal with the rest of their lives. In um, Psalm 106, in verses 28 and 29, it says, they join themselves. Now, you have to understand, this is talking about believing Israel. These are people that are believers. But they join themselves with idolatry. They were believers, but they joined themselves with idolatry. And in uh, 106, verse 28 and 29, it says they joined themselves to Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices made to the dead. Thus, they provoked him to anger, being the Lord, uh, with their deeds. And plague broke out among them. And I suggest there is a plague that has broken out among our society, a very serious plague, and even in the church. And I think that we're coming to a place and we're experiencing things that are just so ungodly, so unholy, so unnatural that are taking place. I was talking with someone um, you know, downstairs uh, during prayer time, and they were telling me that 
there's something like 16 sex identifications that you can make now. Now, remember it used to be male, female? <laughs> no more. I mean, you can be binary, you can be fluid. You know, I don't even know what half these things are. But, you know, I can wake up one day and say, you know what? I identify as a woman. And I put on a dress and a wig and I, you know, go around. Next day I wake up and I say, you know what? I identify as a man. So I put on all kinds of men's clothing and this and that. That's, that's, I'm fluid gender, you know, uh, gender fluid. I can just go from one to another. Or I'm binary. I'm really not any particular sex and this that. Do you understand how absolutely insane that is? I can take a DNA sample of any one of you, and you're either male or female. I don't take a DNA sample and say, wow, look, at they're binary. You know, there's nothing there. And how does that happen? Because the mind of man is, has a propensity towards wickedness and worldliness and ungodliness. And so the things of, 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 the, of the Lord are taken honestly, as hatred today. It's hate speech if you stand on the word of God. It's absolutely amazing. Let me give you an example of how even in a good church there can be a problem. And, and you can turn here if you want, but leave your finger here in Leviticus. And this is in um, Revelation chapter 2, and verses 2 through 5. <clears throat> and Jesus is, you know having John write a letter to the seven churches, and John is writing to this church. Jesus is the one who's quoting, telling John what to write. And um, he's talking about how great this church is. But, let's read. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Wow, great, right? I mean, really, it is great. What a compliment to have to your church. Look at verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Wow. That's a sobering portion of Scripture because it's telling us this is the church that's doing everything right, but they've left their first love. You know what the first love is? Jesus. It's not about this. It's not about that. It's not about going here. It's not about going there. It's not about behaving this way. It's not about having this program or that program. It's about Jesus. That's what it's all about, Jesus Christ, serving him and, and obeying his word, being a true disciple. And the disciple, the word disciple is taken from the Greek that means student or learner, someone who's, are we disciples of his word? This is the word of God, isn't it, to man? And so we have to make sure that we don't allow these kinds of things to happen. Because either we stand on the word of God family, or we don't stand on the word of God. There's no in-between. And... Uh, they were, were commanded in this portion to take the blasphemer outside of the camp, and all who heard him blaspheme were to lay their hands on his head, and the whole assembly was to stone him. Today, if you stand on the word of God, you'll be stoned. And if you blaspheme the word of God, you're going to be touted as a hero. Really, that's the way it is today. 
Oh, look at all these wonderful people. You know, they blaspheme the word of God and they blaspheme his name and this and that. And, you know, what a wonderful thing. Remember in the Academy uh, Awards? Um, well, actually, probably 99% of you don't. But years ago at the Academy Awards ceremony, and I can't remember who it was, but it was some, it was the very beginning of the feminist movement, and this one actress came up to receive her Academy Award, and, and she said, I just want to thank God, whoever she is. Well, what's the big deal? Well, God's our father. He's not our mother. God's our father in heaven, right? Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And that was just kind of like the beginning of things just falling apart further and further and further. And now if we have someone, some star especially, or some uh, you know, uh, recording artist who says, Jesus, we're like, oh, look at he's a believer. Oh, wow, this guy's great. Some of you might remember when um, oh, Bob Dylan you know, had a profession of faith. He even came out with a Christian album. Do you guys know who Bob Dylan is? He even came out with a Christian album. And then just kind of slid off back into uh, the world. And so the point that I'm trying to get at is we have to be careful that we truly stand on the word of God and not just in our desire. To, we want to accept everything. We want to accept everything. Now, we should accept everybody, but not necessarily accept everything. I've always shared, and you've heard me many times say, anyone's welcome in our fellowship. You can walk into our fellowship and you're a homosexual, you're a lesbian, you're a fluid gender, you're, you're a clown, whatever you want to... You're, you're welcome here. But we're not going to approve of anything that you are involved in that is contrary to God's Word. We will love you, we will encourage you, and we'll teach the Word of God, and we'll let the Holy Spirit do the work in you. We're not going to go around punching you in the face. We're going to allow the Holy Spirit to do that in you. But in our desire to want to accept everybody and to accept everything, you know, I, I, I think sometimes we're blind. I don't know how many of you were uh, reading on the news. In fact, it's been taken to two higher courts. But this eighth-grade girl uh, was in school, and she was, uh, their assignment was to write a paper um, promoting a, a, the, the goodness of Islam. And, of course, they were Christians. Her family was, and she brought it home, and, and um, her father was all upset, and, and he was a lawyer. He was an attorney himself and tried to take, and, and he was shot down, shot down. And the Supreme Court so far has been unwilling to hear him. Now, if I was a teacher and you came into my class and I said, I'm going to teach you all of the good benefits of the Bible, and I'm going to assign you uh, an assignment to write why Christianity is the best uh, faith in the world. I'd be fired. I'd be taken right out of the classroom. Good is taken for evil. Evil is taken for good. That's what we're dealing with. For instance, I am not, at this point, I'm not bashing the Roman Catholic Church. I just want to share something with you to make my point. All right? It's the whole idea that sometimes in our desire to want to just seem loving and, and, and open, we're allowing things to come in that are contrary to the Word of God. But just listen carefully to this. This is the Council of Trent from the Catholic Church, um, seventh session, and this is Canon 4. 
Listen carefully. This is Canon 4 of uh, the Council of Trent, Session uh, 7. If anyone says the sacraments of the new law, mass, baptism, confirmation, and so forth, are not necessary for salvation, listen to this, but without them, man can obtain from God, through faith alone, the grace of justification, let him be anathema. That means cursed and damned forever. That's what anathema means. Here's the word of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses uh, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Do you see they're completely contradictory to one another? The Council of Trent is saying, if you believe that you're saved by faith through grace, you're cursed and damned forever. The word of God says you are saved by grace through faith alone, not of works, lest any man should boast. Wow! So my point being, it's wonderful, wonderful for us to be accepting and reach out to people and wanting to love them to Christ. But it's another thing to also embrace all of the teachings that they might have that are contrary to the Word of God. Do you follow the point that I'm trying to make here? Now, in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So the Lord's attitudes, attitude towards blasphemy has not changed. Don't call light dark. Don't call dark light. Call it what it is, according to God's word. Now in verses 17 through 23, whoever kills a man shall surely be put to death. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, animal for animal. If a man causes disfigurement of his neighbor as he has done, so shall be done to him. We, we never read this part. We just say eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Fracture for fracture. Did you know that's in there? Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. As he has caused disfigurement of a man, so shall it be done to him. And whoever kills an animal shall restore it. But whoever kills a man shall be put to death. You shall have the same law for the stranger and uh, for one from our own country, from your own country, for I am the Lord your God. Then Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and they took outside the camp him who cursed, and they stoned him with stones. So the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. <clears throat> this portion of Scripture makes it very clear we're responsible for our actions. Now, we have to realize that we live under the gospel of grace and justification, which we're so thankful for, aren't we? Because if we sin and we go before the Lord and say, God, forgive me, a sinner. Lord, I, what I did was wrong. I repent. Forgive me. He does. Though a man falls seven times in a day, he rises again. And so we have to understand the sign of being a believer isn't that we never fall, but we're, we're quick to repent and ask God's forgiveness for what we've done. But we have here an understanding that there are times things come into the church that people don't ever repent of because somehow they don't see it as being wrong. They just embrace it. And um, so we have to understand we have a choice to make. Either we accept the teachings of the world or we stand on the word of God. 
And as I mentioned at the very beginning, the most dangerous false teachings are that which resemble the truth. You know, there, there, there have been so many things that have come into the church over time, I couldn't even tell you all of them. I mean, some of them you'd be uh, hysterical over. Like, have you ever hear, hear of the Holy Laughter Movement? Any of you ever hear of that? Holy Laughter Movement went through the church, oh boy, like a wildfire. If you were really a spirit-filled church, and, and then the, I, I'd be up here preaching, all of a sudden somebody would start laughing. And then pretty soon the whole congregation is laughing. People are on the floor laughing and rolling around. And sometimes they would bark like dogs or roar like lions. I'm not joking. And this was considered a real spiritual thing in the church. But there are things even today that have come in, you know, uh, the word faith movement, the send movement. You know, they say a lot of right things, a lot of right things. But that pinch of arsenic is in there that's wrong. Both of them have a tendency to lean towards dominion theology. What that means is Christianity is going to take over the world. Did you know that? Christianity is going to grow and grow, and pretty soon Christians are going to be the leaders of all the countries. They're going to run Congress, and Christianity is going to take over the world. And so the problem you have is you're sending people out with a false understanding of their mission. You're sending them out thinking that their mission, or their thinking that their mission is to convert the world to Christ. That's not what the Bible teaches. It says in the last days, the hearts of men will become more and more wicked. Our responsibility is to go out there and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But see, if I'm going out as a believer, and I'm thinking that my sharing the gospel is going to win everybody to Christ, and because I'm a believer, I'm not, not going to get sick, I'm going to be wealthy, I'm going to have all kinds of things, I am going to be greatly deceived and deceiving those I'm speaking to. The reality is, all I want to share is that you can be saved. It doesn't necessarily mean things are going to get better for you. There are many people who get saved and things get worse. If you're a Christian in China, chances are you're going to die. If you're a Christian in an Islamic country, chances are you're going to be beheaded. Oh, well, that's there. No, 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 that's Christianity. But the fact is, how often do we read about how Christianity is flourishing in Islamic countries. You ever read that? You ever see that on the news? No, you're not going to, because those people are being put to death, and it's politically incorrect. Islam is a good religion. We don't want to put it down by saying Christianity's growing there. We, we live in a, in a weird, sick world, and so we have to understand that a time is coming, and now has come, okay, where the true believer has to stand on the Word of God and not make excuses for his or her life. And I think we do that. I know I do it. And, um, but what we need is our own personal Feast of Pentecost. Remember the Feast of Pentecost? We studied about it last, year, last week in Leviticus. But then there was a Pentecost that came when the Holy Spirit came. We read about it in, in, in the book of Acts. And so we have to realize we need to experience our own personal Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes and, and dwells within our cardiac, our heart, our inner man fully. Or my desire is just for God. Because here's the thing. If you have the Lord, you will have real peace. And if you don't have the Lord, you'll have no peace at all. You might feel good for a while. You might be happy for a while. You might have a good time for a while. It's, it's kind of like a wee time, but then it's a downer. 
But if you're standing in the Word of God, it's so different. In Galatians 5.1, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I'm free in Jesus. What if I get thrown in jail? I'm free in Jesus. What if I'm kneeling before a guillotine? I'm free in Jesus. What happens if my head gets cut off? I'm with Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Psalm 145, verse 8. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. And that's the last encouragement that I'm going to share with you because you might be thinking, well, I've done all those things. I have all these problems. I've been dabbling in this kind of... uh, He's slow to anger. He's compassionate. He's full of grace. All he wants us to do is say, Jesus, forgive me, I was wrong. But unless we stand in the Word of God, how do we know we're wrong? How do we know it's right? How do we know it's wrong? By the Word of God. It's kind of like I was joking at at the beginning. How do you know uh, what sex you are of the 16 definitions they have now? It's a very simple thing. You have a test, and if you are XX chromosome, you're a female. If you're XY chromosome, you're a male. It's as simple as that. You know, there aren't QRP you know, chromosomes. There's just XX female, XY male. And the same thing is true. What does the Word of God say? Either the Word of God is true or it's not. Either the Word of God is just as relevant today as it was the day it was written or it's not. That's the decision we have to make. But as believers, we are commanded to the whole of God's Word. Don't allow yourself to get caught up in all of the modernism and all the expressions of acceptance that lead to rejecting the Bible. Stand on the Word of God and on His Word alone because that's the only way that we know that we have the truth abiding in us. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and how we thank you for this portion of Scripture and this sobering um, attitude that it causes us to come into, to realize that there are ways that we can blaspheme and to curse God without even realizing it. And so, Father, I thank you for your grace and mercy that no matter what we've done, we can just run to our Daddy, run to our Father in Heaven, and we can find forgiveness we can find justification, we can find cleansing, we can find reinstatement in our walk with you. And so, Father, I pray that the words that have been spoken this morning would be seasoned with your grace and that they would be received by your love and by your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my friends.